You're tuned in to The Go Show, the official podcast of Andy Go, owner and founder of Gojo Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm your host, Andy Go. You could be listening to any podcast in the world, but you're right here with me, and I appreciate that. This is The Go Show, the official podcast of me, Andy Go, and Gojo Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today's show is going to be a treat. I've got an interview with Colleen Odegaard. Colleen is a, uh, a media personality that many of you have probably seen. If you've, if you've been living here in the Charlotte area for some time, she's been uh, with WCNC for almost 20 years. Uh, the host of the co-host of Charlotte today, along with Eugene Robinson. And of course she makes uh, plenty of appearances at speaking functions and everywhere else. She's a great personality, but um, she, approached me, Colleen did, um, in, uh, last year, late last year, maybe even around a year ago this time, uh, about doing a podcast. And when I, you know, uh, saw what she was trying to do, I thought she would be a natural fit. Um, she's, you know, worked in TV for many years. She, you know, really has a great, uh, ability for delivery and, and being able to interview people, uh, and, and no structure too. And those are all, all really good things, really, uh, helpful things to know when you're doing a podcast. I had met Colleen once before, actually on the set of Charlotte Today uh, in 2017, I believe, in the uh, at first. And uh, so I'd known of her and, you know, we'd spoken a couple of times, but this is the first time I'd gotten to really sit down and talk to her and, and figure out what she was about and what she's trying to do with this podcast. You know, she just got a uh, life coach certification, which she talks about in this interview. And she's really putting, uh, putting a lot of those skills, a lot of those techniques, a lot of things that she's learned in that practice into what she does with her podcast. So uh, it's a fantastic listen. If you're subscribed to this podcast, then you definitely need to go and search for her podcast, which is called Wake Up to Your Life. And you can find it on this podcast platform that you're listening to or any of the other major ones as well. Uh, But Colleen really does a great job, whether it's talking by herself or with one of her guests about all different sorts of uh, subjects that really we all think about. I, 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 every time I listen to one of her episodes, I'm like, I've really thought about that myself, but I've never really uh, been able to talk about it because it's like kind of a taboo, not you know easy to talk about thing. So she does a great job of demystifying those, making them not taboo. And, uh, you know, if you're looking for, you know, a great uh, personality to follow, a really authentic and genuine personality to follow, Colleen is definitely that. So uh, kick back, listen. Uh, thanks for tuning into The Go Show. Here's my chat with Colleen Odegaard. Colleen Odegaard, welcome to The Go Show. Thank you, Andy. I'm so delighted to be on The Go Show. Fantastic. Well, um, I'm real excited to have you on here today, Colleen, because not only um, are you a fantastic uh, veteran of the Charlotte media landscape, but you are also uh, f- uh, really just a few episodes into a podcast venture of your own that I'm really excited about. Full disclosure, listeners, I do produce Colleen's podcast, Wake Up to Your Life. Um, but if you haven't heard of Colleen or if you haven't heard of the podcast, uh, I really want to talk to you, Colleen, today about what that podcast is, because I really love what you do with it. I really love kind of the message and the ethos that you're bringing to it and and this 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 sense of 
I don't know, community or togetherness that you embody so much, not just with, with who you are by yourself, but with this additional venture that you're going on too. So um, let's just start out with this. What is wake up to your life? Am I asleep to my life? I don't know. Are you? Am I asleep to my life right now? And if so, how do I wake up to it? What what were most people um, asleep to? To To experiences. I think that so many of us live on autopilot. We're kind of going through the motions of our day. One day looks the same as the next day. And the next thing you know, you know, months have gone by, years have gone by and nothing's different. You haven't reached those goals or that dream that you've had been brewing in your heart. You never took any steps to go after it. That's what I think that it is that people are asleep to, that they're not living up to their potential. They're not doing or being all that they can be. That's what it is. So that's why I came up with this idea of wake up to your life. And I'm glad that you said community because um, you and I have never talked about that, but that is really what I intended to create or hope would happen with this podcast. And it turns out we do have a a community and it's really nice. Um, But I call it wake up to your life because I was living on autopilot. I was sleepwalking. And I think outside looking in, it may have looked like my life is all together um, because I have a successful career and a nice family and that I somehow seem like I might have it together, but I wanted something more. I wanted something else. And so I think that so many of us check out because we don't know what to do with our feelings. We don't know what to do with pain. We're afraid to really go for it. So then we check out and live on autopilot and that we're not living awakened. So I don't know. Are you asleep to your life? That's a great question for you. (laughs) Well, you know, I, now that you've put all those things out there, um, you know, now that maybe there's some perspective to, to, to reassess, but I do absolutely agree and identify with what you're saying about how you see people kind of, uh, just existing, and not really living, right? And 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 that's not necessarily like I'm I'm not going to fault too many people for that because let's be honest, our society kind of pushes us in that direction, right? Especially us middle class folk. I mean, you know, you go to school, you go to college, you get your job, you get the gold watch in 30 years, and you retire. Like that's like that's how it was put to me. And so, like from the beginning, from Day one, especially when you have your kid, you've got all these adults saying, what are you supposed to, what are you going to be when you grow up? You're taught to like, think that there's this path that you need to go on. And then like, you close yourself up to those other opportunities. I feel like people just get it. Once they get in there, it's really hard to see that that's the case. But then once you do see that that's the case, it's like Jim Carrey breaking out of the Truman show, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it's, it's the fable comes down. You put it beautifully. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That, you know, from the time you are a little kid, what do you want to be? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess I want to be a banker. I guess I want to be a lawyer. I guess I would, you know, and, and we don't even know that we can dream and we start going on these paths that maybe somebody else told us we should be on what the world tells us at large, what society, what a professor, what mom, what dad said. And we never stop and check in and say, is this really a reflection of who I am on the inside? Does my outside match my inside? Am I living the things that I value? Am I living the things that are important to me? Do I do anything in a given day that lights me up or excites me or expands my heart? And a lot of time the answer is no. And people go, well, crap, like how did I end up here? And I think it's because we check out and we do the things we are quote supposed to do without ever asking, 
is this a life that fits me? And, and I would argue that we can create a life that is more a reflection of who we feel we are on the inside. We really can. I mean, you know, even when you went off to start your podcasting business, which by the way, yes, Andy does produce my podcast. And I just have to say, if anyone listening has the slightest inclination to want to start a podcast, Andy uh-huh. Go is your guy. He is, I cannot thank you enough. My podcast would not exist if it weren't for you. And you pay attention to it in a way as if it were your own and that your name was on it. And I don't know a lot of people who work that way. You, you're top notch and it means so much to me. Thank you. I digress. Sorry about that. I just had to, I had to say that because (laughs) I'm so grateful for you. Like I think about you every day. I'm like, thank you God for Andy because he's awesome. (laughs) And I mean that sincerely. I I sincerely Mm. appreciate it too. But you know, even when you left a, you know, comfortable nine to five job that you had to go start your podcasting business. I'm sure that there were probably people who went like, what are you doing? You're crazy. You're going out on your own. That's the stuff I'm talking about. I love people's crazy ideas. I love people's outlandish, you know, unreasonable dreams. I love them because I think that you can start to take steps toward them. And even if you don't end up at your final destination, even if it's not achieving the dream that you thought it was, even the person you become as you start to take steps toward that, I bet you, you have a more exciting life. I bet you're <laughs> open to experiences that you never would have had, had you taken that shot. So it's helping people to sort of get out of their own way and go after that stuff. And we have a lot of things telling us why we, we can't be more, have more, do more. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up, Colleen. Cause, um, I, so I've been in this, uh, small business game now for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, in the time that I've been doing it, feel like it has been a revelatory experience. Um, one in which you could say that the, in the life that I was living before working the nine to five job, that it was one where I was more existing, just getting by and just kind of putting one foot in front of the other on this, on this hamster wheel of life. And, um, in the time that I've been working for myself, it has been the opposite of that, where I feel like I've been able to, to dictate the situation around me and, uh, and be able to work with the people and the projects that I want to work on and, and really in the way that I want to work on them. Um, and, and you know how it is when you're working for another company, big or small, no matter how much you love them, there's always going to be something that they do that is not quite your jam. You know, it's not what you would do if it was your thing, no fault of their own. Although sometimes it's the balance is out of balance. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, but, uh, in the time that I've been working for myself, it just, it, it feels so uniquely me and it feels like this, um, you know, this confluence of all the random skills and, uh, training and the stuff I studied in college and all the stuff that I just thought was so disparate and, uh, and didn't really amount to anything. Now it all kind of forms together like Voltron. How beautiful (laughs) is that? I mean, how much more alive do you feel? Oh, it's, it's night and day. I mean, it is not to, I guess, play off of the, uh, the metaphor, but it really is night and day. I mean, you know, when you, when I was working nine to five, it really just felt like I was surviving. And and you even said that it was a comfortable job. Well, it was comfortable in the sense that I had healthcare and like, I could, I knew that I'd be able to pay my rent, but like, I never got ahead. 
I could never get ahead, mm-hmm. you know, working for myself. Like I actually could get ahead. Like mm-hmm. I could pay off my student mm-hmm. loans, pay off my debt, start mm-hmm. all the things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe not to go into a whole sociological thing about, you know, uh, the greater work environment, but, um, but I do feel a lot of what that, uh, what the workplace is, is meant to keep you, <laughs> you know, just kind of small or keep you just satisfied enough yeah. to not want to do something else. But ultimately mm-hmm. oppressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're lucky to have a job kind of thing. And while I'm sure you were grateful for it, you still wanted something more. And, exactly. you know, and to be clear, I'm sure that when you went after this and anyone listening, who's got that dream or that thing that's gnawing at their heart, it will be difficult. I'm sure you had days where you think, Oh my gosh, like, what have I done? There might be those days because it is hard when you make that leap, when you, and I'm not just talking career wise. I mean, when you take a chance on anything, any area of your life in which you would want to see improvement, it will be difficult. It will be uncomfortable you will come up against obstacles and challenges. So it's, what do we do with that pain? Mm. But I'm so glad that you did, you know? And, and anytime I listen to your podcast, wake up to your life, Colleen, which by the way, you can find on Spotify, Apple podcasts, anywhere for free. Um, you really bring that sort of reinforcement to the table. You reinforce that, Hey, like, you know, living your life is going to provide a greater foundation for you so that, yeah, you may have those bad days, but Mm -hmm. if you're being true to yourself, you're going to be better able to handle those things and, and move in the direction that you want to move into. Um, One of the other kind of cool things I like about your podcast is that, you know, people obviously know you for having been on WCNC Charlotte today. um, But you had recently gotten your uh, life coaching certificate. Is that correct? I did. So yeah. tell me a little bit about the inspiration to do that and how it influenced the podcast. Yeah. Oh, thanks for asking that. Yes. So I got certified uh, in 2019, April of 2019 as a life coach. And <laughs> there's this, as someone I used to work with, he was my co-anchor and he's now the pastor of a church. Uh, Chris Justice, good, good friend of mine, Pastor Chris. He's a good friend of mine, but he was my co-anchor on the news for many years. And he used to joke, we, our desks were right across from each other. And he used to put up a sign that said, you know, the doctor is in because people would always stop by my desk to sit down, plop down and talk to me, talk to me about their problems, talk to me about their concerns, talk to me about their dreams, their ideas to cry, to, to vent, whatever it was. I was always sort of that person. And I always have been that person to my friends and in my circles. And so I think I was always drawn to this world of, of coaching really. I really love it. I love to listen to people, which I do as a journalist. You know, I, I think it's sacred when somebody shares their story with you and that we cannot be haphazard with that, that we have to hold that as something sacred and precious. And when people would come to me to, to talk to me about the things that were on their hearts or on their minds, um, I just love to listen and to ask people, the right questions to help them find out that they do have the answers within them. So I've always been sort of coaching and interested in that. So I finally went for it. And for the longest time I had this belief, well, life coaching isn't a real job because it seemed like every chick was coming up on Instagram was like, I'm a coach. And, and they'd have all these posts and it was there. Everyone was selling so hard. And that really repelled me. I kind of went, Ooh, like, I don't want, I don't want to be like that. That's you know, and, and not knocking anyone who's, who's a younger person. You can be an effective coach and be in your twenties for sure. I do believe that, but I just, they didn't speak to me. And I, and I had this idea of what coaching was until I started to 
go, oh, this is really a thing that people do. And wow, working with a coach can really change your life. And I've worked with a coach and I'm still working with a coach. I'm a coach who who has a coach, um, which many do. And, um, so then I decided to go ahead and and take classes at the life purpose Institute and I got certified and I had practice clients and got all my hours in and love the work. Love it. I love it so much. It really talk about feeling alive. You know, when I'm doing that kind of work with people, I, I come to life. So it was really something I've always kind of been doing and wanted to do. So then I got certified and I thought, this podcast, my podcast feels like the perfect, um, you know, a moment ago you mentioned that all your skills kind of came together when you opened your podcasting business. I feel like that for me, I feel so in flow and it's my jam and man, this is my thing you know? awesome. and I love it. And I just, it's like everything I do, but from interviewing people and listening and telling stories and, and taking a lot of information and squeezing it down into something that's a little bit more palatable for people to understand and digest. Yes. So I want to know this from your perspective, again, as somebody who spent, you know, many years in TV, which of course is so structured and rigid, compare making, you know, uh, the average daily TV show, news show with the process of making your podcast. From a personal perspective, I will say this to you, that the podcast feels so rewarding to me, more rewarding than anything I've ever done. And podcasting costs me money. I mean, I don't make any money from it. It actually costs me something, yet it is the most rewarding work that I've done. And I've done wonderful work that I'm so grateful for in television and still am. And I, and I'm so grateful for that. So in no way am I knocking that I'm grateful for it, but podcasting is a different beast, you know, and what's great about podcasting, at least for, in my experience is that I can talk about whatever it is that I want to talk about anything, anything. And if if I want to talk about my gray roots and plucking my eyebrows, I can talk about that for an hour. Mm -hmm. If I want to, I can talk about whatever I want and, you know, putting together a news program, uh, you know, your the day's news is what dictates what's going into your show. And there are some constraints, you know, I can't speak so freely and, and it's not about me, obviously it's not supposed to be, not that my podcast is either, but I have more space to share personal stories that I hope will illustrate some of the concepts that I'm trying to teach through the show. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, uh, t- I mean, let's look at some of the things that you've already talked about and just in the handful of episodes that you've published, uh, your most recent episode, uh, as of this recording was with Ohavia Phillips, of course, which was a fantastic, uh, chat about racial, uh, inequality and, uh, and, and, um, and how to restructure that. Uh, you've talked a lot about body image and, uh, especially for women, how that can be a destructive sort of thing and how best to handle that, that sort of, uh, that feeling. Um, you've, you've really talked a lot about, uh, self image and how people can be happy in their own skin, uh, just as a foundation. Uh, why isn't it so important for people just to have these foundational strengths and, and why do we, why do you see people, why do you think it is people, um, don't seem to have that? Mm-hmm. I think most people don't have it because we're never taught that. Most of us have never been taught any kind of emotional skills. Chances are mom and dad didn't model that really well for you. I'm just going out on a limb here and taking a guess that mom and dad didn't model that for most people. So I think that's part of it. And 
it's important that we have these inner resources, that we have this inner strength, because listen, we know that things can change in an instant. You can get fired from your job. Your girlfriend can break up with you. Uh, you, you know, someone gets a bad diagnosis. You go bankrupt. Someone steals your car. I don't know. Things can go wrong in a second, right? That's saying that not, nothing happens then and boom, everything happens. You need a place to be able to tap into. You need inner strength and resilience so that you have a place to go with that. So that's why I think it's important that people learn the skills, learn how to help their minds work for them, not against them. Sometimes we are our biggest obstacle to overcoming things. And if we can direct our mind, things to think on purpose and use our mind as a tool that God has given us to create more of the experience you want, why wouldn't you do that? And and research shows that we can use our brains in that way. So I think that we walk around because there's so many forces telling us that we're not okay the way we are, that Mm -hmm. you need to make more money. Advertising and just pop culture. Uh, movies, music, everything. Yes. Yeah. That you don't, that your house doesn't look right. Your body doesn't look right. You don't have the right relationship. You're not uh, driving yeah. the right car. You don't make enough money. You're not successful enough. You don't have enough followers on Instagram or Facebook. You're not making enough of an impact. Oh, and you know, you got to look smoking hot while saving the world. <laughs> and all oh, of by the things. way, we have a product that will help solve all these things for yeah. you know five easy payments. Yeah. So we have to learn how to go, wait a minute. Is that stuff really true? I'm not sure. You know what? I think we've been fed a lot of horse crap here over the years and, and to be able to, to, to question it and poke some holes in it so that you can cross check it with what's inside of you. Like, wait, I, I, I'm on this gig. I know what's up. This is, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And I think that ultimately most of us want the same things. And most of us, we're more alike at the heart of it than we are different human beings. And, um, so when we start to share stories and I'm sorry, I don't know where I'm going with this, Andy, I just kind of got off on a tangent, (laughs) but when we share our stories and find out like, Oh, you too, like you feel bad too, because of X, Y, Z. Oh my gosh, me too. And then we can start to think something different. But I, I, I do believe that learning emotional skills, having emotional intelligence, having a source of strength is critical to be able to combat all these things that come around you that tell you you're not okay. Um, Last question here, and then we'll uh, go to the break. But do you feel like there is more room in today's society to embrace these um, more individualistic ideals or pursuits than there maybe were in the eighties or nineties? I do. I do think so. I do think so. I think because we're the more people talk about it, And the more you see it kind of mainstream, I mean, there are a lot of people who talk about this kind of stuff and, um, you know, you have athletes talking about practicing mindfulness, you know, and, and really embracing these things is how you can, you know, change your thoughts and make your mind work for you. So I do think that there is more room for it now. And I'm glad, I'm glad. I think that we are becoming more, um, affirming of different schools of thought. We're going to take a quick break here on The Ghost Show. We're going to come right back, though, with Colleen Odegaard, host of the Wake Up to Your Life podcast. We've got so much more to cover, including her background growing up in San Jose, California, her career in TV, and even a few other things that you may not have known about her. So stick around. What would you say if the whole world was listening? 
That's a question that only you can answer, but how you do that may not be. If you've been sitting on a killer podcast idea or need to share your story with a passionate community, it's time to launch your podcast. Gojo Studios serves clients of all sizes who not only want to take advantage of a growing medium, but want to do it right. Visit gojostudios.com for more information or email me, andygo at andy at gojo.com. That's G-O-H-J-O dot com. Thanks for listening. Colleen Odegaard back on the Go Show. Um, the Wake Up to Your Life podcast, again, is something that you need to go hit subscribe on uh, at your podcast uh, platform of choice. Whatever you're listening to this podcast on, go search Wake Up to Your Life or Colleen Odegaard. That's Odegaard with two A's. Yeah, good luck spelling my name, everyone. I can barely <laughs> spell it, so good luck to you. That's why Godspeed. That, that's why the <laughs> podcast title is Wake Up to Your Life. Hopefully nothing to, uh, no curveballs in that one. Right, right, right. okay. Uh, well, Colleen, um, again, thanks so much for being on the Go Show. Love to have you on here. Um, Want to talk a little bit about, uh, just go back to, you know, in, in your in your background a little bit. You were born and raised in San Jose, California. Is that mm-hmm. right? I was born in New Jersey, but I oh, grew up in, okay. in California, in San Jose, California. I moved there when I was a kid. And so I, I consider San Jose, California home. My parents are still living in the house that I grew up in. Yes, but I grew up in San Jose, California. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Tell me about San Jose. I've never been to San Jose. I don't know do anything about it. Do you know the it. way? <laughs> I, do, I, do I know Do you what? know the way to San Jose? It's an old song. Oh. Do you know the way to San Jose? Um, yeah, well, you've been to San Francisco. Yes, I have yeah. been to San Francisco. So not too far from San Francisco, about an hour south, um, you know, it's, um, it, it's changed so much since the time that I was a kid, but, but it was, a, I grew up in a lovely town. I love mm-hmm. San Jose. Um, Yeah. I've got fond memories from, well, (laughs) some fond memories, but yeah, I ended up going to college there. I went to San Jose state university and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great town. And, um, you know, something that I, uh, identified with you, you know, kind of when I learned a little bit more about you is that you also have a uh, Asian American upbringing, uh, like myself. And, um, you know, I I do feel like Asian culture is something that's a little bit less, um, you know, well-known in America. Um, now it is certainly more prevalent on the West coast than I feel like it is here in North Carolina. San Jose is very diverse. Yeah. Lots of Asians. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, the Bay area, that's kind of a different story, you know, but I I think generally in American culture, Asians are, uh, a little bit less, um, um, well-represented. And uh, one of the things that I think, uh, you know, that I I also identify with you is that there's there could be a lot of pressure growing up in Asian households to perform and to uh, exceed and excel and all that sort of stuff. So I don't know. Is, is that something that you uh, also found yeah. while you were growing up? You had that, too, huh? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, God bless my family, but they do like to tell you what you should be doing. <laughs> oh yes. I, I was always told what I should be doing. Oh yeah. No, that's a, that's a real, that was a real thing for me at least. Um, yeah, there was a lot of pressure. Um, you know, if, if I had a B it's why isn't that an A mm-hmm. kind of thing? Um, so you better believe I got good grades. Yeah. Nothing less than that was acceptable. A lot of it was, I pushed myself too. Um, but there was pressure from, <laughs> there was pressure from, from mom and, uh, yeah, it was just, um, 
Yeah. I, I think, and I talked about this on an episode of my podcast of wake up to your life, but, um, sort of, uh, there was a period of time and I'm kind of ashamed to say this, but when I think I was sort of, um, denying my Asian heritage, not, uh, not ashamed of it, not that I just, I, I felt like the more I could identify with my whiteness, the more acceptable I was. And because people would look at me and see my last name is Scandinavian, but I don't look that way. And s- some people know I'm Asian right off the bat. A lot of people don't. Um, and people just didn't quite know what to make of me. And then they meet my mother and she speaks with broken, broken English and has a very thick accent and, um, a lot of cultural things that, you know, when people would come to my house, like, you know, and I had a lot of my Vietnamese relatives living over there and we had, you know, 10 pairs of shoes sitting on the front step. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, you got to take off your shoes before you come in my house, <laughs> you know, know and then, one. and then mom would be burning incense and have a plate of fruit and, you know, offering to the Buddha and, and yeah, I have to explain these things to Do people. Do you guys have durian in the house? No. Cool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Get that out of the way. Um, and I think that, and my mother, you know, really wanted me to be Americanized because I was growing up here and it, that was important to her. And, um, and because I saw my people mistreat my mother at times for being Asian, you know, she, I heard people say things to her, like, go back to your country, Mm -hmm. learn to speak English. She better speak English and go back to your country. And, and then my mom would get mad and, oh my, she would say, you know, like me because Asian, no, oh, you, you know, she would get real fiery and I'd be like, oh my gosh, mom, please don't make a scene. And, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to be more white then because Mm -hmm. it's not okay for me to be Asian. And I have since really had a a change of heart about that. I embrace that part of Mm -hmm. me now. I'm proud of it and I love it. Well, that actually contrasts a little bit with, with how I grew up because uh, my dad, who is, you know, represents the Asian side of my family, Mm -hmm. he was super focused on assimilation and trying to be as Western as possible. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just forget a second that there's no way a South Asian guy, a clearly South Asian guy who doesn't speak English fluently is ever going to fully assimilate into our culture. But you know, that's really what he was trying to do. And I can't honestly blame him as an immigrant, as somebody new coming into this country. Like all you want to do is fit in so you can create this, this better life for you and your family. And I know that's really what he was trying to do. Um, but you know, I was, I never learned Chinese growing up. I'm learning Chinese right now. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, I'm really trying to embrace that side of my heritage more because I, I I do feel the same way. I felt like I've, well, first of all, just like being born in Southern Indiana, I've been surrounded by whiteness my entire life. Like Indiana is the most white place ever. I mean, there was an Asian population there because of Indiana University, but still it's Southern Indiana. And let's be honest, like Western North Carolina, really not that much different. Um, so that is a side of my heritage and my culture that has, uh, you know, that, that I do, uh, you know, identify with you there. I feel like I haven't embraced it as much as possible. And especially nowadays with, um, you know, the, uh, protests with black lives matter and going on and everything, all that is rooted in the strength of your cultural heritage. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um, I personally feel like I need to be more firmly rooted in that strength so that I can, you know, stand up for others too. Absolutely. You said that beautifully, Andy. I couldn't agree more. I feel that too. I feel convicted in that, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's important. I mean, um, we should always be celebrating diversity. Our differences are Mm -hmm. what make us great. And, um, and, um, you know, I, I, and Asians really do, uh, kind of, uh, disappear into the background. We are the model minority, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, it's just, it's, it's something that I want to take more pride in and, and identifying with it's, there's a lot of the pressures and the stresses that come with it. As, as we mentioned, having Mm -hmm. pressure from the family, but, uh, but it's something that I'll always be proud of. Pressure to succeed. There was a lot of pressure to succeed and to do well and be high performing. Did you Mm -hmm. study journalism communications at San Jose state? I did. I studied broadcast journalism. That was my major. Is Mm -hmm. that, is that different from what your family thought you were going to Uh, study? Yes. They wanted me to study business or finance and, but then when mom saw some of my tapes back then, like VHS resume tapes. And when I was, you know, anchoring at the, the campus, uh, yeah. newscast that we had, as soon as she saw that, she was like, Oh, you know, she liked that. <laughs> she thought that was cool. So then she was on board with it. She, th- she said she could brag about her daughter. My yep. daughter, she talked to TV. She did a good job. She, my mom used to always say, Oh, Colleen, I tell you true. I born this country. I, I do your job. I talk to TV. She always, she took pride in, or takes pride in, I think still to this day that I've had a long television career. Well, and why shouldn't she? I mean, again, you know, if you are the daughter or son of, of somebody who comes here, not knowing the language and you can make a career by wielding that very language. Yeah. uh, Gosh, like I can't, like that gives me goosebumps thinking about how that must feel to your mom to, to see something like that. That's beautiful. That's amazing. So you studied at San Diego state. How did you get to Charlotte? So after I graduated from San Jose state, I got, Oh, that's okay. I, after I graduated from there, I got my first job two days after I graduated college, I got in my Honda Accord and drove to Laredo, Texas for my first TV job. Mm. And so I started anchoring a news morning news there and producing that show. Then I went to Lubbock, Texas as a reporter. And then I went to Salinas, California, and I had an agent at the time. And she calls me and she says, Hey, uh, some guy in Charlotte wants to fly you out and have you do an audition. I was like, Charlotte, where's Charlotte, North Carolina. (laughs) That's random. That's what I thought at that time. It seemed so random that it was just another world away. And, and even when I, when I came out to Charlotte for my interview, my mom was like, are there Asian people in Charlotte? I said, yes, mom, there, there are. are. <laughs> there are. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I don't think so. I don't think they have Asian people there. I'm like, no, they do mom. Um, and a lot more now. Yes. So, and that was 22 years ago when I came to Charlotte and I had an interview and, uh, I think I did a little, did the audition and then was offered a job here. So I took the job anchoring the morning and new newscasts. And I mean, was that with WCNC? Yes. So you've been with CNC the whole time. I have. Yes. And it's, it's, it is hard to believe people always say that, but it really is hard to believe. But now, Charlotte is home to me now. I mean, my children have been born here. Mm-hmm. We've made a life here that I, that I'm proud of. And we've got, we're very involved in the community and have friends who are like family to us. So I, I'm glad that we're here. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And, uh, I know the Charlotte community seems to have embraced you and, uh, you know, your family, you, 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 you are very well, uh, loved here in the community. I can tell. And, um, and, uh, and that longevity really speaks to something, especially, uh, with, uh, the state of today's local TV and media, um, 
Well, because it's musical chairs, right? Yeah, I mean, really people is, come yeah. into a market to use the market for their as two years stone, as right. their stepping stone to go on. And and no shade. That's fine. I mean, if that's what um, you're being called to do, and I get that. And I did have opportunities to go to some bigger markets and they just weren't the right time and it wasn't quite the right job. And I thank God now, Andy, I look back and I think, thank God, I needed this town. I needed these people. Mm-hmm. I needed to be here. I needed the church I have. I need the friends I have. I needed this place. And I'm so glad none of those things worked out for me. I'm proud to, you know, to, to call Charlotte, North Carolina, my home. And, and I'm grateful for this community and the way they rallied around me during, um, a difficult time in my life uh, with my son. Uh, my son nearly lost his life, and this community rallied around me and, and showed me love that I can I, I will be indebted to them forever. So, the, to your point, people come in and out of media here. They they stop in for two, three years. They do their stint and they go on. I'm so grateful that I have roots here and this is my home. And uh, if uh, for our listeners, if you want to hear about the uh, episode with uh, Colleen's son that uh, she just mentioned, you talk a little bit more at length about that in one of your episodes, correct? Mm, I think it was episode four four, if I'm not mistaken, uh, wake up to showing up. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I talk about what happened, the accident that almost took my son's life and what I learned from it, what I learned from that really difficult time mm-hmm. about what it means to show up for other people and love people and take care of people because people did that for me and my family. And spoiler, Anthony, your son is A-OK these days. <laughs> he's all good. Yeah, he's all good. Yes. <laughs> Still listen to that episode because it is a uh, fantastic testament to a lot of different things that mm-hmm. Colleen uh, speaks about. Um, I do want to uh, talk about something that maybe some people are not familiar with and probably wouldn't even expect, given the fact that you work in TV. Um, but you ha- have, have uh, been diagnosed with Tourette's. Mm-hmm. When did you learn about that? Yeah. So I was officially diagnosed as an adult. I was 30 years old when I was officially diagnosed. However, I knew long before that I just had some denial about it, which might sound weird. Um, but to be clear, Tourette's syndrome is a neurological disorder. It's characterized by tics, verbal and motor tics. And for me, my tics started when I was 10, 11 years old uh, you know, fifth grade, fourth grade, something like that. Something that you noticed around that time. Yeah. So I would blink obsessively like, Mm. like, I guess over, I'm doing it right now. I know you guys can't see me, but I'm blinking, but I'm, Andy can see it. Um, I would blink repeatedly and I close my eyes and open them. I do it really hard. And then I would, um, open my mouth and close my mouth hard, like, uh, I go like this. I'd open my mouth and shut it over and over and over again. And I would cut my, my face would kind of freak out, do this little thing. And so that started and I couldn't control it. And so you had already been working in TV for several years at this point, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Was it something that had bothered you uh, on the job at that? Yes. Okay. Yes. So on TV, you'll hear about a lot of people who have Tourette syndrome, like the, the P the piano player who has Tourette's and ticks so badly, but when he plays the piano, he's flawless. Mm. The soccer player, there's a professional soccer player. There, there was, uh, I think he was a goalie and he had Tourette's, but when he'd be in the game, he was in his zone and he'd be tick free. And so that's kind of the case for me when I'm on the air, if the red lights on, I'm tick free or I have some ticks. I do some things that are ticks, but they don't necessarily look like ticks. I've, I've learned to do some things to suppress ticks so that they don't look as, uh, I hate to use the word alarming, but so they don't look as grandiose and it kind of gets me through the moment. 
until I can let it out in a safer space. So yeah, I do not tick openly on TV. Occasionally I, I, I do some things that I know are ticks, mm-hmm. but I don't know that a viewer would know they're ticks. I see. Mm-hmm. I see. That's interesting that first of all, what you said there about sort of having to suppress it until you can let it out later. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me more about that? Cause that, that really seems interesting. It's it, like, is that something that you, that literally kind of builds up inside you and you have to have a release for it? Yes. Yes. It like, like an itch that's making you crazy. <laughs> Scratch it a sneeze that has to come out. It's the same thing. So I can't, if I have to tick, I cannot sit, I can't sit still if it's, it's in my body. So then I'll do things like, um, I, to get me through the moment, if I'm on stage or if I'm doing an interview with somebody or I'm on TV or I'm in a sitting at dinner with a group of people and maybe I don't feel safe around them to just tick openly. I will tighten my body. I take my nails and I dig them into my arm to kind of get me through the moment. And then later, but yes, then I kind of have to kind of have to release. And I've had some doozies of ticks and I, and I, you know, I, (laughs) I I do have a sense of humor about it now. I didn't before. Um, but yeah, but I've got some big ones and I've got some, I've got some ticks that I think if somebody were to follow me around and watch me do them, they'd be like, Whoa, what's going on. But, but, um, I have Tourette's syndrome. That's what's going on. And you know, when I was a kid, it used to be like, I had OCD too. They Mm kind of go hand in hand. So I, if I went into a room, I'd have to turn the light switch on and off a certain amount of times, whatever number I determined, I would have to turn it on and off, on and off, on and off. I literally couldn't leave the room until I had done that. Um, I had to touch certain things. If I saw it, I had to touch it. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the TV, I, I could, I, if I leave and I hadn't touched it, I'd have to go back in, touch the TV. And then I could go on. Cause I don't know, the world was going to blow up. I, I don't know what would happen if sure. I didn't, but it felt that way to me. And that accompanied my ticks, which became worse. And I had a lot of, um, verbal ones too, um, obsessive, like <laughs> sniffing or throat clearing and certain words that I had to say over and over and over again, uh, just yeah. And so I learned what I taught myself as, as a kid was to kind of suppress them or make, turn them into things that didn't look as distracting, but I'll never forget, you know, over the, you ask how it affected me on the job in TV. I was editing, you know, TV is a pressure cooker job. It's very stressful environment, very stressful environment. You're always under deadline and you know, it's just a lot of pressure. And I was editing a story. I used to shoot for myself. I'd rep- I was the person out in the field, like reporting live in Lubbock, Texas. I'm Colleen Odegaard. And I would shoot it and I would edit it. And I had an intern who was shadowing me. And, and I went back and I was editing my, my story. And I was really stressed out. And at times of extreme stress, ticks can get worse. And I had this tick where I always had to, I still do this, but I had to dig my nails into the back of my neck and I had to separate my hair. I know this sounds weird y'all, but I I had to like, I had to do this over and over and over, like take my hair on over one shoulder, over the other shoulder and dig my nails into my neck. So I'm editing the story and I keep doing that. And my intern says, you do that a lot. And I said, what? She was, that thing with your, with your hair. I was like, what, what are you talking about? And I just acted like, I don't know what you're, the hell you're talking about. You're crazy. And I would do that with people over because I was so ashamed of having Tourette's syndrome that anytime anyone would say like, I had a boyfriend who said your face freaks out sometimes. Why do you do that? 
You'd act like you just didn't even know what they were talking about. Yes. Just to like pass it off, play, you know, play ignorant, like, and just change the subject to move on. I know, trust me, I know what you, Mm. I know what you mean. Awful. And I I love that I can just say now to you, I can look you in the eye and I can tell your listeners, I have Tourette's syndrome. And here's what you need to know about people with Tourette's syndrome. They're just like you. It's not a disease. You can go on and live a very full life and, you know, and you're okay. We just do some things that look a little weird sometimes. You know, there's so many things in our society that have just been reduced down to a stereotype or some sort of easy mechanism. And I think that leads back to what you're saying about waking up to your life. It's not just waking up to yourself internally. It's waking up to these things externally too. I am sure you're sick of what the stereotypical definition of Tourette's is. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've had to correct people on that oh, and, mis- yes. you know, and educate misinformed people about that. Mm. Um, Gosh, it makes me want to cry as you say that. So I thank you for knowing that. And, you know, Andy and I haven't even talked about this. You just know, but you, I, yes, I am tired of that. I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard people make jokes about not knowing I have Tourette's and the, you know, somebody yeah. says something, oh, I must have Tourette's. And, and I think, oh, well, actually I really do. And, yeah. and what people think that it's just someone running around cussing all the time. Right. And, and that's a very small percentage of people who have Tourette's syndrome do that. A very small percentage. It's more people like me walking around with some, some level of tick disorder mm-hmm. where they do some things that, um, might look a little, um, alarming or look strange, but there it's just, it's a neurological thing. And, and at the end of the day, even if you are the person that, you know, has these uncontrolled outbursts, that means yeah. you're more deserving of people's grace and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and security, you know, and not less. And I feel like that yeah. I do like to see more people waking up to their effects in the world as far as that goes. Absolutely. And that I'm so glad you say that because that is part of what what I preach too. It's, it's doing it for yourself, but it's doing it for other people. It's showing more compassion and empathy. And I'll tell you, I've been empathic since I was five years old and I swear to you. And, and, and my ticks didn't start until I was about 10 or 11, but, but as that happened and I always felt a little bit like a misfit, always my whole life felt like a misfit. And it was the Asian thing. It was mm-hmm. not totally embracing that. <laughs> and it was Tourette syndrome. It was, there's a lot of other stuff going on too. And that has made me a far more compassionate, empathic person. It's why I root for the underdog. Mm-hmm. And I'm the first to be like coming to someone's defense because I feel so strongly about that. Cause I know what it is to be that person. And Colleen, let's, let's, let's wrap up on this. What is something from when you're, when you were um, adapting to the threats and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to, Um, you know, control it as best you can. What is something that you learned about yourself or that process that you can share with our listeners here that Mm -hmm. will help them wake up to their own lives? Mm. I'll tell you, the biggest thing is learning to accept myself and love myself as I am. So yes, there were, I learned, you know, the techniques to tighten my body and, and, but I don't know that those things were helpful to me you know, and I did that just so that I wouldn't look weird to people, but what have, what the game changer, the reason I can tell you about this now, and then I can talk so openly about it is that I accepted it. It was no longer pushing it away and being ashamed of it. That whatever we're ashamed of, when you bring it to light in a safe space, it's no longer in the darkness. And then you, the shame starts to dissipate. 
right? It was the second you speak the thing that you're so ashamed of, like mm-hmm. I did this terrible thing or, oh my gosh, if you knew this about me, you would never like me or accept me or certainly never love me. But once you say it and people don't run away and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, wow, interesting. Tell me more about that. Whew, a lot of that shame just dissipates and goes away. So I think the biggest thing that I learned was really to, to speak these things out loud and to, to know that God loves me and I'm not defective. I do these things that look weird, but I'm not defective. And I'm every bit of as worthy of love and belonging and acceptance and opportunities and taking chances and creating podcasts and coming on podcasts as anybody else's. And when I really learned that on a cellular level, that this doesn't make me broken, this doesn't make me defective. It was like, that's the thing. And we all have our quote ticks. Right. Mine are these, but maybe for you, it's you come from a broken home. Maybe you're an alcoholic. Maybe you can't stop spending money on Amazon. I don't know. Whatever your thing is, we all have our things. But when you, you know, when you can share it with other people and they meet it with love and compassion, it's beautiful. So I don't know if that it really answers your question, but I think it was this journey to, to learning to really love myself and be a friend to myself and not be ashamed of who I am. You know, and that's what I want for other people too. There's freedom in that. Colleen Odegaard with the Wake Up To Your Life podcast. If you need a supportive voice and you need someone to let you know that you're not the only one going through these struggles and that other people are going through that and we can go through that together, we can make ourselves better together, then go subscribe to the Wake Up To Your Life podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. Colleen, is there anything else that you want to share with us? No, I do, thank you for giving me this opportunity. And I always like to, I hope that people learn something. I think, <laughs> you know, people ask me about this vulnerability thing. They're like, wow, you're being really vulnerable on your podcast. But I'll tell you, I think that I, I can do it. I'm not saying just go out and spill your guts to everybody. That's not what, that's not what I'm advocating at all. Talking about but, spilling the water. Yeah, I literally <laughs> just spilled my drink all over the table. Um, I'm not advocating, you know, going and spilling your guts all over the place, but I share these stories in the hopes that we can come together. You know, I think that our, our stories are not for us to hoard and keep to ourselves. You have to process them. You have to learn the lessons from them on your own ahead of time, but you can't process necessarily out loud and publicly. But when we share these things with other people, when we take that chance, it builds intimacy, richer relationships. And so I just want people to, to wake up and experience all that God is calling them to experience. Fantastic stuff. Colleen Odegaard, thanks so much for being on The Go Show. Thank you, Andy. My pleasure. Oh, real quick, Colleen, before we go, how can my listeners find out more about you and the Wake Up To Your Life? Thank you so much. Yeah, they can go to my website, ColleenOdegaard.com, C-O-L-L-E-E-N, Odegaard, O-D-E-G-A-A-R-D.com, or follow me on Instagram. It's Colleen underscore Odegaard. Thanks so much. Big thanks again to Colleen for, you know, let me into her home to sit down and, and speak with her uh, socially distanced, of course, uh, for this podcast. Uh, and like I said at the top of the show, she's just really one of the most authentic, u- u- genuine, unique personalities uh, I feel like uh, we have here in Charlotte. And uh, the fact that she's really opening up, uh, getting this opportunity, this platform to really dive deep into the things that she really knows about and she cares about and the way that uh, I feel like her 
work can benefit others is really great for her and of course for the community at large. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just such a big fan of Colleen. Definitely listen to her podcast. Once again, it's called the wake up to your life podcast, Spotify, Apple podcasts, uh, Google podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I also want to use this time at the end of uh, most of my episodes here. Again, when I say most, I mean, each episode here at The Go Show could be different. I mean, there is no one straight up template for this show. Uh, This really is going to be a creative playground for me. I'm not trying to monetize this. Uh, I'm not trying to sell for sponsorship or do anything like that. Uh, You know, I really just want to have fun with it and use it as a space to create and express. Um, So in that vein of expression, I want to use the ends of the podcast here to just touch a little bit on maybe some of the things going on um, in the world, in Charlotte, in my life, anything like that. And, you know, I'm going to kind of focus in on the return of the NBA last night. Um, And of course, that was uh, that is happening down in Orlando, Florida. The NBA is in a in a campus, a clean campus, Um, trying not to use the B word, but I know everybody does. And uh, Here's kind of where where I'm at on it. I feel that pro sports right now really is an overindulgence in our society. It's not something that we really need. I'd like to think that anyway. I know that we benefit as a society from the distraction of sports and that helps keep us kind of calm or perhaps sedated. That's a different discussion. Uh, But that's um, that's not something I feel like we need right now, especially if it's going to be a misuse of resources. Um, which, uh, when the pandemic first came around, of course, it very much was, I mean, the, in the first couple of weeks in Oklahoma's, uh, states there, you know, I think 90, some of the percent of the tests were going to the Oklahoma city thunder and the Utah jazz. So that can't happen. If pro sports, uh, takes up that much of, of the resource, well, then it's just not worth it on any level to, to be doing this sort of stuff. Now, if it doesn't take away from the resources, that's obviously different. And if it's not posing a threat, then that's a, a, a thing too. The NBA is really doing this, um, this restart, right. Uh, it, it's, they're putting all the other pro sports leagues to shame with this restart. And, uh, and the last night when, uh, the jazz and the Pelicans played in the first game. And then of course the Lakers Lakers and the Clippers closed it out and the nightcap, man, it was perfect. It was just a really kind of, I mean, certainly it's obviously an atmosphere that we've never seen before sports fans or as anybody following the game uh, has. And uh, I, I really like the, what the NBA has done with just the court atmosphere, the fans on the digital boards, the, uh, the court looks nice, clean and crisp. Um, and of course the level of basketball, you know, once those games started to count, you know, they, you know, LeBron was getting after it. Obviously LeBron was just another, um, level of basketball player out there. And, uh, you know, again, my, my concern for sports, uh, is, is, is that this is not coming at a conflict to the rest of the society. And also let me uh, say too, that logistically speaking, it's possible to do these things like logistically speaking right now, I don't think it's possible for football to happen. 
It's just not. There's too many players. There's too much travel. There's too much staff. Uh, the sport itself just lends to, you know, a, a pretty much the opposite of what we need to do in the pandemic. Uh, it's just not worth it. Baseball, I feel like probably dropped the ball on this one. They could have had something like the NBA, but they chose to stay in separate cities and, and it's just not working out. Um, so logistically, if it doesn't make sense, college football is going to be this way. We're not going to see college football this season. Um, I think because of the logistics more than anything. Um, so all of this has been at odds with my desire for sports. Um, and while I wasn't an initially excited for the NBA to come back because I felt that it just wasn't the right thing to do after watching the product on the floor last night, I'm actually really really excited. (laughs) I'm really excited for the rest of the basketball season, assuming that they can continue doing what they're doing and keep hot, you know, COVID tests to a minimum or none at all. Even I'm, you know, and so players aren't missing games because of that, or whole teams aren't having breakouts. Uh, if they can do that and crown a champion, man, I'll, I'll consider this one of the best, um, scrambles in all of pro sports history uh, by the NBA. Now, let's not forget, too, that they've got a little thing going on out in China that the New York Times uh, reported on uh, where, you know, their uh, Chinese teams are are, are dealing in some really abusive uh, behavior. And that's a whole separate thing that, uh, again, I will I will talk about in another day. Uh, but for right now, I just want to focus on the fact that the return of the NBA last night really did give me something that I felt was fun and, and wholesome and just like pure, uh, which is not something that we've really had much of at all this year. So, uh, shout out Adam Silvers, shout out LeBron James, uh, shout out the entire NBA, uh, for making that happen. Um, so, uh, I want to also, before we go, not going to take too long here on this outro, but you know, it's been a couple of weeks since my last podcast and, uh, and the toughest thing about podcasting, just like I tell all my clients is, is being consistent and, and, um, being motivated to do the podcast each and every week. And it's not that, uh, you know, have been motivated to do it, but it is a difficult thing to do to, uh, you know, day in, day out, plan content for, and get all those sorts of things, uh, ready to go. And, um, so, uh, I, I don't want to take breaks in my publication schedule. Um, you know, from here on out, um, sticking on, uh, you know, planning out, uh, new content each Friday and I've got plans for the next couple of weeks. So hopefully we should be good for that. We've got a lot of great guests coming up too that I'm planned, uh, planning for the show. So, you know, I appreciate everybody, uh, tuning in to, you know, any episode that you've tuned into so far, so far here for the go show. Um, it really means a lot to me. So thanks so much. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to The Go Show. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and subscribe to The Go Show on your podcast platform of choice. Give us an honest rating and a review as well. It really helps this podcast appear in other people's feeds and searches. Follow me personally on Twitter at Andy Go and on Instagram at The Gojo. That's G-O-H-J-O. You can find Gojo Studios on both platforms at Gojo Studios. And finally, check out gojostudios.com for all the latest updates and podcast material. The Go Show is created, written, recorded, edited, mixed, mastered, and produced by Andy Go of Gojo Studios. Music by Harvey Cummings.